Welcome to Two Guys, One Book, where two friends tackle their reading list one book at a time. Hello, everyone. This is Two Guys, One Book. I am Brian, and I am joined by... Tim. Tim. My good buddy, Tim. Uh, This is where we talk about books, so welcome, everybody. Uh, Today, we are actually talking about a novel of fiction that I picked. It's Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. Now, um, Wait, yeah, so we... Question. Yeah. The more names the author has, the better they are, right? Like, <laughs> if she were, like, Dr. Emily St. John Mandel III, then it uh-huh. would have been an even better book. Best but, author ever. <laughs> yeah, if you have, like, you know, a two-part middle name, that's pretty good. So yeah. that's why you well, picked her. I think her. that's her... I think her main name and married name back to back. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so um, this is a book where a flu pandemic wipes out a majority of the population on Earth, where there's no more electricity, no more, you know, technology, really. Everyone is kind of either have these small settlements or uh, traveling bands of nomads um, and getting back to survivalist um, way of life. Although people try to have, you know, community, like I said, small little uh, towns and villages still try to form and, and maintain the order um, in this world. And it follows the, this band, uh, this troop called the traveling sympath, Symp- <laughs> called the traveling symphony. There you go where they have a bunch of musicians and actors and they play classical music and they perform Shakespeare and they travel around the Great Lakes region. Um, and the main, the main protagonist is a girl. Would you even call her a protagonist? Um, that's a little hard to say, I think. Yeah. In the Traveling Symphony, mm-hmm. there is this young woman who's about in her late 20s, and this has been 20 years since the pandemic, so um, she's about late 20s. So she was in her around eight years old when the p- pandemic hit and she was a child actress. And now she is part of this traveling symphony. And the book goes back and forth between year 20, as it's called mm-hmm. in the pandemic. Uh, and it goes back in time to year one, where th- this girl was acting in a stage production of King Lear in Toronto when the lead actor died of a heart attack on stage. And then they go back even further into this actor's career and, and personal life and stuff. And it jumps around all over the place. Yeah, I think it's a hard book to summarize because it does jump around between right. different time periods before the collapse, mm-hmm. after collapse, and different mm-hmm. eras. And like you said, like it's hard to say if there is a main protagonist. I think Arthur Leander might be the main protagonist because it starts with him, as you said, in King Lear. He dies of a heart attack. And then it talks about characters kind of uh, tangentially related to his life and how they kind of interconnect over different years. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I agree. Like uh, the amount of pages that Arthur, Arthur takes up is probably more than Kirsten, who's the, the woman in the traveling symphony. But you know, when, if we're rooting for a hero, maybe because we already know that Ar- Arthur dies of a heart attack, that there's no real, like, his story is almost already concluded. We just are shown flashbacks to his life earlier. Whereas Kirsten, we are actively involved in her in year 20, where she's in this 
traveling symphony. Then she gets separated from him. And they come across this weird cult-like group and the prophet. And then she has to find her way back to the traveling symphony and all this time, um, you know, trying to navigate the perils of uh, the post-apocalyptic world. Yeah. Yeah. There's so, a lot going on. And before we dive too deep into it, I want to know in the middle of a pandemic, hopefully the tail end, why <laughs> did you choose a book about a pandemic? Why did you want to have this meta experience? It's very timely, right? I mean, you could say it's timely, not... but like you want escapism in this time, don't you? You don't want like more pandemic. So I, I did find my reaction to this book very interesting because the first part of the book where she, where the author talks about the actual outbreak of the flu was kind of giving me the willies a little bit because I was like, oh my gosh, like COVID was bad, but it could have been so much worse. And then like thinking Just about- in terms of how people reacted or how quickly the virus and- Oh, the virus on. itself. Okay. Like how bad the virus actually right. was could have been worse. Where if it wiped out over half of the population, I mean, I don't think they ever did say exactly how much the population, but it was like two thirds to three quarters, right? Yeah, I think like that. 90 plus. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I heard this was a good book. I heard it was a pandemic book. And so I'm like, what the heck? We'll read it during the actual pandemic. Um, it did kind of give me the willies at point at some points. But um, did, did you find anything? Uh, uh, parallel, I got real some life willies, yeah. <laughs> What's that? I got some willies. As you <laughs> <did>. <laughs> I haven't heard that in a while. Um, yeah, no, I was it definitely hit a little close to home just being in the middle, you know, during mm -hmm. a pandemic. But um, but no, I thought it was, let's talk about like, you know, first impressions, I guess. What, Yeah. how did you think of the book overall? Like, like, dislike, big picture, what do you, how'd you feel about it? Um, I liked it overall. Um, I was at times I, a little disappointed because like with all these flashbacks to the author's life and one of all, one of Arthur's ex-wives writes this comic book called Station Eleven. And or is it called Doctor Eleven? I think Doctor Eleven is the comic book, and one of the comic book issues is Station Eleven. Mm -hmm. But M Miranda is the ex-wife that creates this comic book, and then but it's like not even a real comic book, it's more like a side art project. And she gives them to Arthur, and then Arthur gives them to Kirsten when Kirsten is eight before Arthur dies. And then Kirsten holds on to these comic books throughout the whole uh, post-apocalyptic world as a keepsake of the old world. And she memorizes them frontwards and backwards. I didn't quite understand all that connection. Mm -hmm. But then at the end, we realized the connection. And I was like, really, that's it? Like, I mean, I like the book still, but like that was to me a little, I don't know, unsatisfactory. Yeah. Yeah, just to go off that, I would agree that it's good, but maybe not as great as I think it could have been because it was hard to get into trying to realize how that graphic novel fit into the bigger picture story. And just to preface this with a big spoiler warning is at the end, it, this like character, Tyler, who is the son of one of Arthur's ex-wives, uh, becomes this prophet, like evil cult leader in the post-apocalyptic world. And he loved the Station Eleven book or whatever and then mm -hmm. also kirsten loved it and um had her own take on it and, and it inspired her and then they kind of quote lines at each other or whatever and then that was pretty much the big reveal i guess and then mm -hmm. which i kind of like the idea of this 
book that wasn't like widely published or popular having a big impact on people down the line because kind of this idea of you know art having power and even if it's you know a limited release and then all these years later um kind of affecting these two people that's true i think there's a reason that it's like you said some fringe comic book that no one else really knows about while at the same time the traveling symphony is performing shakespeare which like everyone has exposure to in their lives where everyone can have an emotional reaction to Shakespeare and every, and it's probably different for everybody, but to have an emotional attachment to something that is so unique as a comic book that is only like one of 10 issues, Mm -hmm. it's much more um, personal and focused when it's on that comic book. And then, so when the big reveal happens between Tyler and Kirsten, then it is like, oh my gosh, these people are speaking, are quoting from the same obscure comic. And then that ultimately leads to the prophet's sidekick or prophet's followers turning against him real quick. He was like distracted. Yeah. Yeah. By her quoting it, he was kind of caught off guard. And then, Yeah. yeah, his followers took that opportunity to kind of turn on him. Right. Yeah. Which I, I, I felt like that was a a very um, that was that was the climax of the book really, mm-hmm. and I don't know how I feel about it. I'm still I'm still t- turning it over because like there was no real like showdown. I was kind of hoping for a showdown between Tyler and Clark. Clark okay. was Arthur's, Arthur's best, best friend. friend, right? Yes, and Clark had survived the pandemic in this airport, the small airport in Michigan, and Tyler was so close to being to the airport, I thought there would be this some grand showdown. I don't know, like The Walking Dead always has some like good showdowns in that <laughs> show. But I guess, you know, this was this was more like unexpected and like where the 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 the, the it was really a boy that shot the prophet. Yeah. And then but like I don't know. It, I'm still I'm still mulling that over because I just finished it, you know, recently. So yeah, I think it's an interesting idea, but mm-hmm. it's for me a little hard because it felt like the book lacked focus. Like how significant is a Station Eleven thing? It kind of jumps around from character to character, time period to time period, and it I just found it a little jarring, especially like early on. But I did think it had a pretty strong ending and overall was an engaging story, mm-hmm. right? Um, right. The idea of a traveling symphony in the post-apocalyptic world is pretty cool. Yeah. No, I think that's a very cool concept. Um, did you? Did you? Were there times when, because it would it would jump back and forth between the past and the present. Mm-hmm. Did you enjoy reading about one more than the other? Ooh, yeah, that's a good question. I think it kind of depended on the story and what they were talking about. I liked Arthur Leander as sort of this tragic character who he had all these like ex-wives, but also was just this guy who was trying to like kind of become famous and then sort of regretted it and probably a lot of parallels with a lot of celebrities and you know how their lives play out. But um, I kind of enjoyed his flashbacks and with like talking about his wives and ex-wives and how all those went. But yeah, yeah what about I did you? Too. I did too. I thought at first you're right. It's a little jarring because like it, the book is broken up in distinct sections, like nine different sections. And each section is about either like sometimes they go back and forth, but primarily each section is either about, post-apocalyptic world in year 20 after the pandemic, or it's about the past and Arthur Leander. Mm-hmm. And at first when they went back to the past, I'm like, why, why are they doing this? You know, like I want to, I want, this is a post-apocalyptic book about 
a pandemic. I want to read about a post-apocalyptic book about the pandemic. But when they talk about Arthur and then Miranda, his first wife, I was kind of compelled by that story. It kind of drew me in. So I feel like going then going back and forth, I was kind of almost more interested in like Arthur's uh, self-sabotaging his marriages and eventually moving on to the next wife and and what does the ex-wife do you know in her in her post arthur life yeah it's kind of funny we found those engaging because like comparing their personal problems with the scale of the pandemic and everything like it's obvious that the latter is way more catastrophic and widely destructive but you know i guess you can say like shakespeare the value of that and like that they were performing is all these like human based relation based relationship based stories, right? For the most part, mm-hmm. and uh, and like he, they talk a lot about how those were originally made during the plague and mm-hmm. when they were like coming up with those and performing those. So, um, yeah, maybe some interesting thing to note there. Yeah, I think the way things are tied together is overall well done. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like this is a prime example of the Chekhov's gun principle in fiction. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. So Anton Chekhov was a uh, play, Russian playwright. And his, and his, all right, so Chekhov's gun is a dramatic principle that states that every element in a story must be necessary and irrelevant elements should be removed. Elements should not appear to make false promises by never coming into play. Hmm. So basically Chekhov has said that like, Everything, remove everything that is that has no relevance to the story. If you say in the first chapter that there is a rifle hanging on the wall, in the second or third chapter, it absolutely must go off. It's, if it's not going to be fired, it shouldn't be hanging there. Hmm. So that's Chekhov's gun's principle, is that like everything in the story is important, and you have to just, if it's irrelevant to the story, just don't even write about it. You have to check it off the list, right? Good. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to make uh, yeah. a point here, Tim, no, no, and no, I'm no, not no. appreciating your snide little comments but right now. That's just his style, though. That's like you know, very Hemingway, like essentialist, minimalist, right? Like, I guess, but like, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, I, but it's been adopted by m- multiple authors who you know feel that a story should only pertain what's pertinent to the story or contain what's pertinent to the story. Um, I don't think that's always necessary because if you only tell the reader or audience only what's relevant, then like everything's going to tie together. And that's exactly what this book does. Everything that the author talks about ties together, which I'm not saying is a bad thing necessarily. I just feel like, I guess it leads one to always kind of say, well, it's kind of inevitable that everything would then tie together. Mm. You know what I mean? Whereas if, if if an author puts in something that you're not sure why they put it in there, then then it leaves the off the reader more on I guess off balance. And some people may say that's a bad thing, and some people may say that's a good thing. You know? I'm yeah, just, I think it's just a style thing. I mean, like for people who just want the clearest direct message, like you can just read nonfiction <laughs> exclusively, right? If yeah. you're just trying to like transmit an idea to a person but like yeah i think it just like comes down to the authors like how much details they want to provide but i think generally it's good to stay on topic and they do kind of interconnect everything it reminded me of like um have you seen babel that movie 
I have not, but I want to because it's okay. in your in Yeah, in your Who did like Birdman and um, yeah. what else? Re- did he the do? Revenant. The Revenant. Yeah, I think his works kind of follow a theme of like things being connected throughout different individuals' lives, intersecting, and just kind of found some parallels with this. Yeah, I think one critique I had though is that it kind of sounds right reads like young adult fiction to me at times. <sighs> you know, like this could have been like. I haven't read The Hunger Games, but, like, something along that, like, and I'm not saying I need, like, some big words or, like, lofty stuff to, like, feel like I'm reading some. <laughs> you need a word that you have to go look up in the dictionary yeah. every now and then? <laughs> no, no. I mean, something can be profound and use simple language, but I'm just saying, I don't know. Did you think this, can you see the point I'm trying to make, though? I do see the point you're trying to make. Mm-hmm. My counter would be that, like, I enjoyed the fact that there was no real romance in this book. Like, Kirsten, oh, you hate romance. Okay. What's that? You hate romance is what you're saying. I hate romance. That's <laughs> no, okay. like Kirsten, she could e- the author could e- easily had Kirsten be more romantically involved with another character in the post-apocalyptic world. Now we have romance with Arthur and, and in the past, in the flashbacks, how he, how he meets his wives. Yeah. That's kind of romance-ish. But like there was nothing about Kirsten that, finding a partner in post-apocalyptic world, which I actually enjoyed because like, it's all about survival. And like, I think any kind of romance would have, I mean, sure. She, she had an ex in the traveling symphony Saeed and they kind of had some tension, but like that was nothing. Yeah. Some authors I think can try to force those things and it feels a little unnatural. Um, I do think Arthur's friend Clark was a good character. Like, um, and even though they kind of liked or disliked each other at times, uh, but you know, they ultimately kind of had this bond. And then he was at the airport, you know, after the collapse. And he kind of started this museum of civilization, collecting all these things like iPads and computers that didn't work anymore. But we're just like, here's what we used to have when we had electricity and everything. Right. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot because he they had like a motorcycle there that, you know, because nothing there's no gas anymore. And 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 other things like that. That was pretty cool. I liked Clark. Did you have a favorite character at all? Was would he be your? Uh yeah, let me think about that. I think Arthur was a strong kind of tragic mm-hmm. character. Clark was a good character. Um, Miranda, who wrote yeah. the Station Eleven. Yeah, um, yeah. I, yeah, like I think Miranda. the characters are pretty good overall. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I like Miranda and Clark. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, Kirsten was fine, but like, um, I don't know. I felt like she was pretty one-dimensional, right? Yeah. Not. Not. I guess there was like she had to kill some people and had like tat- knife tattoos and wouldn't talk about it. I don't know. It was just hard to get a little too invested in one person or the other because it did move from storyline to storyline, right? Right. Good point. Good point. But just in general, I thought, didn't you think the airport uh, idea was cool? Like thinking of that as a setting for a post-apocalyptic world and people just kind of camping out in all the concourses and yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was very cool. How like initially... They just they got rerouted. They were flying to Toronto or something. And they got rerouted to tra- uh, the Severn City, Michigan, which was a fictional town. Um, and they and like some people left to try to make it on foot or in car or something. And then other people took another plane. Like there was a pilot in their airport, so he took a plane to L.A. because that's where his family was. And some people left with him. And they and they just kind of. Uh, hold up in the airport and then they learned that there was a blockade at the airport entrance saying quarantine 
So people outside the airport thought that the disease was in the airport. So then that, that's why they were able to be secluded from everybody yeah. else. Yeah. I think yeah, that's that was cool. cool. Yeah. But, and then like with the whole profit thing and his like cult of followers, like yeah. why does it, it always have to like, it was like Mad Max, like Fury Road or something. There's always like a cult and like some leader with like all these wives. You know what I mean? That's a pretty common theme. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was interesting that it was Arthur Leander's son, Tyler, because we don't know that right away, right? Like, they the Traveling Symphony encounters the prophet mm-hmm. uh, early in the book, and they're like, we got to get out of this town. And they leave that night because they, they recognize a cult when they see one. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they have a stowaway with the Traveling Symphony, a young girl who says she's supposed to be this, um, the prophet's next wife. And they said, they, we can't take her back. So they just march on on ahead, and then the prophet and his people start sneaking up and and kidnapping uh, a couple of people from the traveling symphony one at a time to try to make a trade to get the girl back. Um, so we don't know that the prophet is Tyler. Did did you did you figure that out beforehand? I I kind of started to get a sense of it because Tyler was saying weird stuff at the airport, and right. then him and Elizabeth left. But did you kind of right. figure it might be? So here's the part that w- when the, everything clicked for me, not before, like I, I figured it probably like half a chapter before it was revealed, but still mm-hmm. I was, I figured it out. <laughs> I'll take credit for that. Sure. It was, it was when, cause, cause Elizabeth is Arthur's second wife mm-hmm. who is Tyler's mother. And they, they are on the same plane with Clark that gets rerouted to Michigan. So you have Clark, Elizabeth and Tyler mm-hmm. and Elizabeth is, was an actress as well who was Tyler's second or Arthur's second wife. So she is somewhat known. So as soon as like the other people in the airport were like, Oh my goodness, Elizabeth is here. And that's Tyler. That's Arthur's son. You know, like as soon as other people were noticing that Elizabeth and Tyler were famous for, you know, it, while everyone was dealing with this pandemic, they still realized that fame had status mm. I'm like oh well then that's what's going to give tyler this unwarranted sen- sense of um uh, being important and then also he was reading uh, a lot of the bible and especially revelations mm-hmm. um so that gave him this this stark contrast of like they are the light and everything else is darkness yeah that's interesting that's how you got it yeah, yeah, put it together. I I remember him just like quoting stuff from the Bible, and then like Elizabeth was always saying like everything happens for a reason, blah blah blah. And he was saying all this like prophetic stuff as a kid, right? And so yeah. I was like, oh, maybe he could end up being, uh-huh. yeah, kind of tied yeah. back into the end. But so yeah, I guess. Do you, so, Tim. Do you think everything happens for a reason? Ah, <laughs> uh, I think I subscribe to the existentialist um, philosophy that is you create your meaning and, and reason and uh, and that sort of thing. So, right. yeah, what, what do you think about that? I agree. Things happen that are in our control and things happen that are not in our control. And there's so much in life that happens that is not in our control. And so we have to le- learn to deal with that, recognize that, and also then react to it the reaction is what's in our control yeah and i guess that's stoicism for you yeah stoicism ties into it too i think everyone 
or a lot of people say everything happens for a reason because it's kind of comforting but I, a more like nuanced take on it is like um you know things happen and we can interpret them in different ways in which to ascribe reason meaning to them i don't know if that's a word but yeah. anyway yeah yeah i like that but you're right i don't think i don't think people say everything happens for a reason because it's given some peace of mind i think it's because they want to abdicate responsibility oh they want to they want to say everything happens for a reason so i you know am not gonna worry about x or y because i just want to not have to worry about that and so, so you're I'm calling them uh you're calling them lazy and yes. uh cowardly <laughs> yes i think it is part of a it's part it, it is in some ways it is a cop-out i'm not saying it's always a cop-out i'm just saying brian stirring the pot <laughs> sorry we need some drama we need to you know but look what happened to tyler tyler got seriously messed up because his mom kept saying everything happens for a reason so he thought this pandemic happened for a reason yeah when, yeah. when it doesn't it just happens yeah, but you like you can believe that and still be a great person. It's not like you can. Yeah, and sure. But I, wanna, I guess I'm saying yes. I'm we not. should rename this uh, two existentialist read dystopian <laughs> fiction. <laughs> it should be our podcast because I mean the shoe that. fits, right? Yeah. Also, I think I brought this up before. There are no, not enough, to my knowledge, dystopian comedies. It's always like. This formula, the world ends, a lot of bad stuff happens. There's not enough, like, comic relief or, like, where's the funny parts of, you know, post-apocalyptic life? (laughs) Well, you can write something, Tim. There you go. You can write a a funny dystopian book. Yeah, that that could be my, I could corner that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Isn't, like, um, Shaun of the Dead? Isn't that something? Shaun of the Dead is a great example. Yeah. And, And I love that movie, and that's the best example I can think of. Is there anything else like along those lines? We need more Shaun of the Deads is what we're trying yes. to say. <laughs> well, if you if just watch Hot Fuzz or what are some of those other ones those guys make? But that's not post-apocalyptic. I know, I know. But yeah, good movies. Wait, same thing. Um, yeah. All right, let's get back to the, the book. Oh, so, back to the book on hand, yes. So, okay, so, so overall you said good but not yes. great. I mean... No, I really liked it. I really okay. did. I guess this is one that I was looking forward to reading and I had high expectations for. So I guess that's the only thing. It's like I was like the first part, I loved the first part because like when she was talking about the flu, the outbreak in Toronto and Jeevan, was it? Is that his Jeevan. name? Jeevan? Yeah. He was another minor character where he helped, tried to help Arthur – or uh, when Arthur had a heart attack on stage, he tr- he jumped up, tried to perform CPR, and then he also tried to um, get supplies and go to brother his brother's apartment to kind of hole up for a while. And I thought that so I I thought I liked the beginning when Jeevan was trying to frantically stock up on stuff and and go to his brother's place in a snowstorm in Toronto. And I also liked the part where then she revisited it later where Jeevan and his brother Frank are holed up in his apartment for like two months. And then eventually Jeevan has to go out and venture out in the world. Yeah. I, I think it's worth a read. Like it's an engaging story. It's kind of a unique take like with the symphony and everything and the way it's told kind of destructured. Uh, just think it could have used a little more focus, maybe just on one character or one arc and different things like that. But that's just my opinion. Yeah. 
Did, did you okay. hear this is being made into a miniseries? <laughs> that's that's literally what I was just about to say. Yeah. Well, go ahead. I'll let you say it. Okay. So, did you hear that this was being made <laughs> into a miniseries? What? Uh, really? Yeah, crazy. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> it's an HBO miniseries, which those are always high production value, right? And it's being directed by the guy who directed, like, um, Donald Glover's Atlanta and um, This Is America music video, which is, like, a great, yeah, super well-directed music video, right? Wow. And and so, like, very stylistic. And then also uh, written by the guy who wrote Maniac, the Netflix series. Oh, wait. Is which, that the one with Emma Stone? Yeah, Jonah Hill, Emma Stone, yeah. Okay. Right. Which was good, right? You liked that. Oh, yeah. I like Maniac, yeah. I think that's a, a great combo. Like that director, that writer, HBO miniseries, good story. I think it'll be a good, a good one. So, do you know who's starring in the roles? That I do not know. Did you look okay. it up? I did look that up. Ooh, who's starring? Who's playing who? Well, who would you who would you think? Like, okay. So I guess when you're reading a novel, do you have a vivid image of the characters in your head? Yeah. You mentioned this last time. When what was the book we read that like they adapted? Oh, Dune. We were talking about Dune. Oh, right? uh, yeah. And I, and I thought that was pretty well cast. Um, okay, yeah, let me think. I feel like post-apocalyptic, kind of like Dune-ish. So, like, Zendaya. I don't know. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy from Child... No. <laughs> I was like, okay, from The Queen's Gambit. Yeah. I feel like she could be like, a character in this. Um, okay, let me guess one more. <sighs> okay. Arthur Leander, Russell Crowe. I don't know. It just came to me. All right. Okay. You tell me. <laughs> Who's the cast? Well, I, honestly, a lot of them were people I didn't know. Okay. There, but the two people I didn't know, Mackenzie Davis is Kirsten. Mackenzie Davis is, is not as well known, but she was in The Happiest Season, the, the Netflix holiday movie. She was the main character in that one. Her name sounds familiar. I don't think I haven't seen that though. She was also in like she had a small part in The Martian and Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Mackenzie Davis. Who yeah. who are the other more famous people? The the I think the only other famous one, um, Arthur is being played by what Gael Garcia Bernal. Really? Yes. Oh my gosh, he's a great actor. Yeah. He's been in in your two movies, I think, too. Yeah. Before. Yeah. He, no, I think he does more Amodovar. Pedro Amodovar. <sighs> I don't think he's been in any in your. All right, movie. who's the guy who did uh, Gravity? Uh. Okay. Uh, Caron. Alfonso Caron. Alfonso Caron. Yes. I'm probably mispronouncing it. Um. Oh my God! Look at this. Gael Garcia Bernal was in Amores Peros. Love is a bitch. Yeah. Love is a dog, which uh, is an Inuritu film. So. Oh wow. Just throwing that out there. Okay, and the person you mentioned, Mackenzie Davis, I do recognize her now. She was right. in. I've seen like Halt and Catch Fire. I've seen a lot of these movies. I think that's a good casting choice too. I think it's a good casting choice. Yes, I agree. And Gael, definitely, that's a big name. Uh, yeah, who else? Those are the only big ones I recognized. Okay. For me, the only the only like um, the only people I sort of thought about uh, actors, I Clark I kind of thought about Bill Nye, 
Bill Nye, the science guy? No, like Bill Nye. <laughs> the British guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know, I'm just kidding. Well, Clark. Yeah. yeah. I, how old is Bill Nye now, though? Like, But that's just it. When Clark is at the airport, he's old. See, this is a tough casting choice. Do you pick actors and add, like, aging makeup, or do you pick, like, a younger version, older version? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, that's – it depends how – with one. You would just do one. Yeah. yeah probably. Yeah. I think, it, I think it'll be a good show. And I'm glad you picked this book so you spoiled it all for us. So <laughs> nothing will be a surprise or as enjoyable. Well, I, don't, I don't have HBO anyway, so I can't watch it. <laughs> so from now on, you'll just pick – HBO um, books soon to be adapted to HBO. Yep. Game of Thrones is next. What? Game of Thrones? You ready for some George R.R. R. Martin? No, those already came out. That's all right. I know, but I never watched the shows, so i uh, got to read the books now. <laughs> no. I'm, I'm just saying, joking. you can't spoil it for me. It's it's all been done. Yeah. But So, yeah. so um, what? Anything else we need to cover? Like, your only critique is the... What would you... I think, like I said, like unfocused, like maybe it could have followed, centered more around like one or two characters, and then mm-hmm. maybe towards the beginning not jumped around as much because I did disengage a little bit. But I think the ending was pretty strong. Like, do you think like the last chapter when Arthur's like flashing back through his whole life and he's like remembering him and Clark dancing in the clubs and they're like twenties and like you know all these like fun things flashing. I was like that could be a great movie montage or ah. HBO miniseries montage. Yeah. So you you really like that part? I thought that was cool. Yeah, it's like, okay. um, yeah. I thought, I See, at that point, because like the prophet and Kirsten have a showdown. The prophet gets shot. Mm-hmm. Kirsten goes to the airport, meets up with the traveling symphony, meets with Clark, and they see this this light off in the distance from the airport uh, air traffic control tower. You can see a a light down to the south, like. After dark, you can see light somewhere. So somewhere there is actual electricity being, you know, created again. That they saw that just somewhere far away. They saw Correct. like a town lit up. Okay. Correct. So and then so that was like the second to last chapter. It the ended last on chapter is about Arthur. Yeah. Like flashbacking. Like Arthur is at the day of the performance of King Lear. And he's thinking about his life and his son, Tyler, in Israel. And he wants to quit acting and go live in Israel and all this stuff, which is a fine part. But, like, I didn't want that to be the end of the book. I wanted to know more about what happened at the airport and then them going to the yeah. south to find that city, which I guess leaves it unspoken That's for what a reason. the sequel is for, yeah. I guess, yeah. <laughs> no, I think they leave it up for interpretation. But it's which a I'm good, fine. like, optimistic note to end on, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But in fact, this author actually uh, writes other books that are more like crime or mystery novels. And oh, okay. she, she even resisted this one being called science fiction a little bit, which I thought was interesting because it won like a British science fiction award. Mm. But I would still call this science fiction, right? Um, where, how does sci-fi play into it though? Like there's, and and that was, yeah. I mean, I guess ultimately it is about an alternate future. I guess you just say dystopian novel, huh? Yeah. That's a whole nother category. Dystopian with notes of optimism. She's a pretty young author, I think. Like uh, when I looked her up, um, and she's Canadian, I guess. Yep. Yep. But yeah, pretty impressive. I think she'll have a good... Mm-hmm. career 
Mm-hmm. She's 42, so yeah. relatively, you know, early in her career. I wonder, her other books are probably good. I guess. Are you going to read uh, Station 12 when it comes out? <laughs> I don't think there will be a Station 12. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there'll be a sequel to this, though. I think, I think you know, leaving it kind of open with the, the light off in the distance and the traveling symphony going back out on the road was intentional. And I, I mean, like, overall, I like that. I don't, I am one for open-ended but but at the very end of the book, I don't want to go back and read about Arthur Leander. Sorry, Tim. <laughs> yeah. You mean Gael? Yeah, Gael okay. Garcia Bernal. Yeah. But all right. Final yeah. final thoughts rating. You want to? Um, I don't really have any quotes. If that's what you're asking. Okay. <laughs> because I think quotes are more powerful in nonfiction. Although some fiction. Has I would say this was, was well written, though. Like yeah. you know. Yeah, I so. agree. I agree. Um, all right, rating time. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it a four. Okay. Yeah. What about you, Tim? Four. Four as well. Yep. All right. So you liked it. Good. I would say, yeah, worth a read. Didn't blow me away. I wouldn't put it, you know, up with the classics or anything, but, right. you know, well done, creative, and uh, interesting. Right. I completely agree. I think it was very well done. Um, I think my only critiques about the book this in this past uh, in talking about it today has been because I was going into it with high expectations. Mm-hmm. I am all about dystopian fiction. You know it. <laughs> I mean, so Our fans I, know it. I'm on board with any kind of dystopian story. So um, when I heard this one was good, it got my hopes up. Um, but no, it still is really good. I completely agree. Worth the read, easy read. You get, you get in the flow. I mean, maybe not the best time to read it when you're going through quarantine in the middle of a pandemic yourself. People are so exhausted. Still, what's that? Yeah. yeah, people are tired of this, Brian. Yeah, I it's know. It's been a year. We're coming up on a year. Yeah, I know. Hip, hip, but hooray. at least we're not living in an airport that's like abandoned and yeah. <laughs> everybody's yeah. dead. Well, that's just know. it, Tim. Just remember, it could always be worse. <laughs> And remember to lower your expectations before. Right. <laughs> and week. everything does not happen for a reason. <laughs> well, you know, no, no, no one knows. I've so got, what are we reading next, Tim? Yeah. So I picked uh, The Old Man in the Sea next. Right. And thought it would just be a, a nice, quick classic. Mm-hmm. You haven't read it, right? No. OK, I've not. So we can both check check this off our check list. That one off our to read list. And what's what's one after that? What did you pick? Humankind. By Rucker Bergman. Hmm. Sounds yeah, interesting. That'll be, be a. It's actually an uplifting book. Oh, hey, that's what we needed. Yeah. And then I'll pick a dystopian comedy after that. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like this alternating we do between we read. You know, you and I both pick a nonfiction book and then we pick a fiction book and then a nonfiction and a fiction. You want to keep going with that yeah. pattern? I like that pattern. It kind of keeps yeah. things fresh, like right. both ways, right? And then that way, you know, our many, many listeners can read <laughs> whatever they want, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. They can hop in and hop out. Okay, Brian. After yeah. re- after reading about how Station Eleven influenced this prophet guy, and then Kirsten, even though it wasn't popular, this graphic <laughs> novel within a novel, you know. So I we can only going. assume that in 50 years, if there's an apocalypse and somehow people have audio, that we're going to be super famous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. 
Yep. <laughs> so there's still a chance. <laughs> You're telling me there's a chance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so yes, go to our website, twoguysonebook.com to see what books are upcoming and leave your comments on what we read or what we're about to read. Let us know what you think. And we will share your information on here too. <laughs> we'll Not share your all of your contact just... <laughs> information. We'll share your credit card, social security number. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, all right. <laughs> no, so all until right. next time. Keep reading. Keep reading.